five, four, three, two, one. I'm John Miglosh. The WDMA. We're going to be talking about measurement and ROI today. But first, let's get over to Tom Fishburn, who says, do something. Don't just sit there. Do something that looks like... <laughs> <coughs> Don't just sit there. Do something that looks like we're being productive. Okay, so. And the key word here is looks like we're doing something productive. <laughs> Notice the graph. Okay. He's got another one not too long ago that said, we're going to keep meeting until we figure out why no nothing ever gets done around here. <laughs> Which is a similar similar thought okay and uh you know it reminded me of some of the complaints when many people at twitter got laid off <laughs> it's like where are we going to find another another place to work that has a bar and well you could work at a bar <laughs> you're not supposed to drink from the bar when you're working at the bar okay we've got a zoom meeting coming up uh, and I just sent out an I just sent out an email blast to everybody that's ever, as far as I know, ever uh, tiptoed near the WDMA. So check your inbox, and if you, if it's going to spam, you know it's probably because I put a picture in it and I put a bunch of links. So it kind of is spam. I mean, in, in the in the in the filter sense, um, I don't know how to fix that. Put it in your white. Put it in your contacts or something um anyway it'll be at 3 p.m on march <laughs> i put march 38th on this thing below <laughs> march 38th well no it'll be the 28th i'll have to fix that but you know it's fixable <laughs> it was late at night when i was working on that uh so next week tuesday just keep that in mind if you go to wdma.org up in the upper uh up in the upper left no upper right there's a little picture and you can click on that and get right to the registration and inside the registration i think there's a uh, link that just puts it in your calendar for you uh especially if it's it's a google calendar link i don't know if apple can read those but i hope it is okay so tom starts out there tom starts out with there's a counterintuitive buddhist line that's that stuck with me. Don't just do something. Sit there. Yeah, that's an interesting line. I grew up with a very busy man as my father. And if I were sitting down at the piano and practicing, or if I were reading a, a book, and I typically read books like The Confessions of St. Augustine or Vatican II, I was searching at the time. <laughs> But I'd be reading books like that. It wasn't just Doc Savage, uh, which I also read, but that was, you know, when I was like in fifth grade. Um, but if he saw me with a book or he saw me uh, at the piano, uh, he would make me go out in the backyard and pick up sticks or something. Because he was definitely not into sitting around. You better get working. And you better look like you're working, <laughs> whether you're working or not. Uh, so I worked really hard at looking busy. Um, so there's a particular, it's particularly useful in times of uncertainty or even panic to, to, when the temptation is to follow the herd or take action for the sake of taking action. 
sometimes the best action to take on a situation is no action at all. And of course, that's probably what your CFO, this occurred to me when I was reading it, that's probably what your CFO is thinking in terms of the marketing budget. <laughs> Does it really matter? Wouldn't we better be better off just saving the money? So don't let your CFO see this cartoon is what my advice would be. And I have to, I have to note that Tom wrote me back last week, and that was really, I really appreciate that. I don't know if Tom ever sees the damage I do to his cartoon, <laughs> but but anyway, this one's a dangerous one. You for sure don't want to send it to your CFO. For me, it's a reminder to respond, not to react. Boy, that's, that's words for life. It's also an antidote, an antidote to the culture of busyness. That psychologist and Kellogg professor Adam Waits explored this in this month's Harvard Business Review. He writes, busyness has become a status symbol. People also consider those who exert high effort to be morally admirable regardless of their output. Yeah, okay. I kind of probably have bought into that in life. I don't know. It's hard to say. You know, <laughs> it's hard to say. I think I've... I've had a lot of output. Now, the question is whether that generated any any, <laughs> any uh, return on investment. Well, that's a different question. That's a different question, you know. Uh, Dwight D. Eisenhower famously framed in a 1954 speech. Before I was born, I did not listen to that speech live. I have two kinds of problems, the urgent and the important. The urgent are not important, and the important are never urgent. And I learned that when I was in, just starting out as a marketing consultant. I was reaching the, the deadline on my master's thesis. And, um, you know, I was single. So was everybody else pretty much in the office. And, you know, we'd go out for a beer and just, you know, talk about stuff. And, uh, you know... It was, it was, and I was really, I was really needing to work on my master's thesis. <clears throat> it needed work. And uh, no one ever said, go home and work on your master's thesis. It's really important. No, it was, uh, let's go out for a beer. Oh, you can work on that master's tomorrow. You can work on it anytime. And I did learn that the urgent doesn't, the urgent doesn't wait and the important doesn't urge it just sits there and says well you can do it if you want the most most important things no one says oh you need to do that you need to go start that company you need to go meet with the bank you need to do your taxes <laughs> no one ever well my wife says that but uh you know what i mean is that the culture doesn't really urge you on to the urgent so johns hopkins professor Meng Zhu explored this urgency bias in 2018 study, and it said humans are prone to spend time on tasks that merely seem urgent instead of tasks in, seem urgent instead of tasks that are not pressing but ought to carry more weight. Absolutely right. And here's uh, this was an interesting cartoon from a little while ago. You know, I pointed out to climate change people that they've only been measuring it for the last few months <laughs> no the last couple of years mainly you know i think the i think the thermometers in central park go back to the 
to the uh, 1700s, I think. But that's still not very long in the grand scheme of things, right? If you believe that the Earth is 4 billion years old, that's not even a tick of the, of the, of the clock. And if it's a, a pure cycle, if it's a pure sine wave, which is kind of this graph, just up and down and up and down. If you, if you look at it here, you know, that's one kind of trend. If you look at it here, that's another kind of trend. There is no trend. It's absolutely straight line. Right, which means you're right on track. <laughs> I hope it is, <laughs> but whatever it is, and if you're if you're watching it minute by minute, and this is just one day time span, because it says sales are up today, sales are down today. You know, you go nuts, and so often our measurement scale is off. We don't appreciate. You know, I'm watching the 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 ocean race. And they keep giving the speed of the boats. And I believe it's a speed of the boats like real time right now, which is maybe a second or two of a, of a time scale. And the boats have widely different speeds. You know, one is going 13 knots and one is going 20 knots. And they're right next to each other after 5,000 miles of sailing. And you know what? Tomorrow, they're also right next to each other. Now, if their differential is really seven knots, they would be so far apart. Well, after a day of sailing, they'd be 140 miles apart, but they're not because they're going essentially the same speed. And one's slamming into a whale, uh, into a wave and stopping, and one's riding down a wave and accelerating. And it's so stupid. And I've written to him many times, you know, how you measure makes a lot of difference. So, Anyway, thanks for that. Oh, no, here's my favorite one that he put up. I'm glad we're all aligned. Yes, always always be aligned, but you need to make sure somebody knows where you're going. And uh, in this case, you know, nobody hears back from the guys that went off the edge. They just follow the tail. Uh, I think that's the way most of life is. Broad is the way and wide is the gate, and many find it that lead to destruction. There you go. Okay, this was a nice article. Direct Mail Advertising Global Marketing Report 2023. And apparently I uploaded the um, uploaded the thing without the, all the highlights. But anyway, it says that it's going to go up a couple of percent in the next year, 2.4%, and about 4% over the next five years, which isn't that great. One of the things I noticed, and not everybody would, is that Gunderson Direct is mentioned along with R.R. Donnelly, Velasquez, Nippon, Hart Hanks, Quad Graphics, Senvio, uh, Hibbert. I've never heard of Hibbert. I've never heard of these guys either. But way to go, Mike Gunderson. You know, there's some other players I thought might be bigger, but apparently Gunderson chip, chimed in and got, got their name in the lights. Um, direct marketing... Uh, it, this is mainly when they're talking about direct marketing, the budget, it's not mostly postage, I don't think. It doesn't seem to include postage, which could double the numbers. So that makes it. So if you don't think $75 billion is that big over here, then, well, throw in the postage, okay? The DMA used to always include the, the spend, how much you were selling. And that was always funny because you might have you might be driving traffic to a retail store or something. It's largest in North America. There's a lot of read rate on direct mail. It tends to have a longer shelf life. 
Yeah, it's a nice article, worth a read. It'll be up on WDMA.org in a few minutes, along with all the other show notes. You just have to subscribe, which is free, and you'll also be more likely to get those spam emails when we're actually having something fun. Okay, here's how companies are measuring their ROI uh, from J.C. Lupus, marketingcharts.com, and he's citing the Lob report uh, that Lob graciously sent over to me, and... Um, and uh, Ms. Corvassier, no, yeah, Corvassier, that's her name. And I always have this story in my head about Corvassier because we, sh at one of the DMAs down in Dallas, I was staying at the Adolphus, wonderful, wonderful hotel, if it's still there, um, old world. And, uh, and we jumped in a cab together and because there was a shortage and the the guy I was with said, you pay the cab and I'll buy you a drink. I said, okay. So we got to the bar and I said, I'll have a Corvassier, <laughs> which is at least double the cab. <laughs> I don't think he thought a young kid like me would know a word like Corvassier anyway. Um, so direct mail ROI measurement tactics. And I was hoping this was about measurement of actual ROI because it's such a broad range. And when you, one of the one of the keys of consulting is speaking the language of the client, and they're almost never, <laughs> never two are the same. Um, and and so um, this one just says individual customer activity within a specific period of time. I'm guessing that's more like matchback. Um, because you can measure, you know, you know where you sent it, and if you get an order from that same place within a certain amount of time, then that would make the most sense. QR code doesn't generally, unless it's a personalized URL, unless you combine these two, you, that really doesn't help you much. You know, you can tell it's from the overall, you can tell it's from the overall campaign, but you can't tell that it's from a particular individual. Um, which is the advantage of the personalized URL and the matchback analysis, okay? But it can help you. If you get the QR code, um, you know, you can, and usually that's, it's usually captured a, a link to a landing page or to a special page, but it, it could just be a trackable QR code. Um, and, and it goes down and down there. And there's all kinds of ways to track, okay? It's just all kinds. But um, direct mail is said to have the highest ROI, but, Many organizations are failing to measure, which is funny because the old definition is measurable. doesn't say you measure. It just says you could measure on the definition of direct marketing. But this survey, and I did follow up with Ms. Curvassier, um, and she wrote back to me and she said, compare media, she told me this, surveyed 250 businesses that all had at least 1,000 employees and did not uh, and weren't necessarily lob clients. And uh, a high percentage of them, like two-thirds of them, say that they use uh, direct mail, which was really interesting. Uh, I wondered if there was a, if it was a good sample set. Sounds like a pretty good sample set. Um, so I was impressed with that. And that isn't in this article, but, you know, it's something that I followed up with later. And so did she. And that was good. Okay, only about a third of of the marketers surveyed were able to determine the ROI. Now, just collecting the just collecting the QR code clicks does not tell you the ROI, right? 
what it tells you is the number of clicks on your direct mail piece taking you to the landing page. That does not tell you how many went through all the way to through the shopping cart and placed the order, right? It tells you clicks. It's not what we usually would call response rate because it's not orders, okay? If you have a dedicated response uh, um, landing page, then you can at least know these came from your mailing. But even if you know the total sales, in my book, that's not return on investment. That's return, that's sales return on ad spend, okay? And I've had many marketers look me in the eye and tell me, well, we got more sales than, we, than, than the cost of our advertising, so we broke even, 100%. No, nothing. You, because you have a cost of goods. You have an order processing cost. You have overhead as a marketing department. There's your salaries, right? And so ROI has to include those costs, I think. In terms of a return on investment, no investment banker would say, well, I bought the stock for $1,000 and I sold it for $2,000, so I got a $2,000 return on investment. No, you didn't. Your investment was 1000 You got to take that out. Okay, so the minimum of return on investment would be take out your costs, right? Okay, now ROI can be a lot more complicated than that, right? You can take in the cost of money. You can take in which which uh, which um, Martin Bear always put in and, and Earl Hogan. They always put in the cost of money so that there's a time differential. You can have that. And uh, what about what about lifetime value? What about the return on investment over the next year? What about the repeat orders that come in? That could be relevant, absolutely. So ROI is a lot more complicated than just tracking, and I think few marketers have any idea what they're what they're talking about when they talk about ROI. Um, if you don't know, or if or if you're a CFO listening to this and you're sure your marketing team doesn't know. Give us a call. Join the Zoom at next Tuesday. Not tomorrow, but the next after that. And uh, let's talk about it. Because this is a hugely important uh, important issue. And as we saw here, only about a third actually even track the orders. And I wouldn't call the orders generated necessarily the return on investment. I would say that the incremental lift is the return on investment. In other words, if you get... If you, what would you have gotten if you did nothing? So what you should really do is you should hold out like your customers. And this article goes on to say customer mailings get the best return. Okay. So what would happen since you've already got an email program going and you've already got a, a Google a, a pay-per-click going and you've got orders coming in and your client and your customers are reordering. What's the difference between what you paid for your direct mail and what you got? And and that's the real return on investment, okay? That amount of money. So when we mail the customer file, a dollar catalog, we need to get a 300% return on investment EBITDA in order to get an incremental lift. Well, that's what we're measuring, actually. When we're really measuring ROI, we're measuring incremental lift. So we say, okay, a customer we mailed to spent an extra $10 for that dollar. A customer that we didn't mail to spent $10 less. So that $1 that we spent per customer generated $10 of sales, which is then 
taking out all the costs, about $3 of incremental EBITDA profit. That is real ROI. And if you don't do it that way, you're whistling Dixie and your CFO is right to laugh at you. Have a great day. Like and share. Your friends will know you're smart.